time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. If you love Jesus, say, I do. If you believe that he is good, say, amen. amen. How many of y'all like moose? Yeah, Jonathan Moose. Man, good. Renata leaned over to me and worshiped and goes, man, he's good. He's like a young John Egan. I was like, I'm going to tell John Egan you said that. Mm. Hey, um, I need uh, Stephen Davis. And uh, how many of y'all have Stephen and Candace? Hey, Candace, show everybody the l- little girl that's grown inside of you. Come on now. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, Stefan, if you could oversee making sure everybody, everybody, you need one of these, okay? So I know it's kind of big and that looks scary to you, but you need one of those packets. And then, Dan, if you could make sure everybody gets a pencil right over there. This is my brother Dan right here. Give it up for Dan Perkins. This is my wife, Renata. Renata, will you just wave? Stand up. Stand up. There it is. Yeah, yeah. Stand up. Yep. She's not pregnant for the first time in five years. No, just kidding. She's had uh, lots and lots of kids. Four kids were here. Uh, are you guys having fun? Yeah. yeah. All right. You need to make sure you have one of these packets, and then you need to make sure that you have a uh, pen or a pencil. You don't have to use our pencil. We just have those available if you don't have them. Um, I am uh, really excited about what God's doing here um, this weekend, and I'm going to take some time this morning. This is not a monologue. Uh, this is a laboratory. Everybody say Laboratory. All right, here's what that means. Man, you know what? It's so funny. I never used to do this, like, thing with my arm, but John Mack does that. And now I'm always, like, doing that. All right. Um, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time with the Lord this morning. And so uh, if we can even, Christian, if we can even bring these house lights up a little bit more uh, than they are right now so that you can read, so that you can see. You need to have your Bible with you, a pen, piece of paper. All right, there you go. All right, this is Amy. Everybody shout for Amy Perkins. There it is. That's Amy. She's so fantastic. All right. All right, and that's Octavia. Everybody knows Octavia. Octavia's pregnant with triplets. No, just one. Just one. Just one. All right. Brandon's got faith, but not that much faith. All right, just kidding. All right. um, So here's kind of the story. one of the leaders, one of our student leaders in Frontline uh, came to me a number of weeks ago and just said, David, um, one of the things that I've heard you preach so many times is to spend time alone with Jesus. And he said, um, which I love, uh, but I-, I wanted to know if you would just teach us how. And um, so this morning is a practical how session. This is not an inspiration session, all right? This is how to spend time alone with God. And Obviously, there's lots of different ways. There's no right way to spend time with God. There's not one way. But uh, this morning, I kind of want to share with you uh, the way that I do it. And so uh, this is something that um, is really valuable and dear to me personally. Um, I would say that out of all of the different uh, potential ways to grow in God, the number one most strategic, uh, empowering uh, causing my heart to go deep. The number one thing for me has been spending time alone with God. And uh, in my journey, 
nothing surpasses it. Nothing comes close to it. So I absolutely love so many of the different disciplines uh, that we do as Christians. I absolutely adore many of the different things that we do as a community of faith. Uh, But nothing has stirred my heart more than spending time alone with Jesus. And so I want to read out of uh, Psalm chapter 1. This is just a great idea. Psalm chapter 1, because it kind of gives an idea about possessing a root system. All right, so Psalm chapter 1 says, verse 1, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Which, by the way, mockers are everywhere. And mocking means just to scoff, just to laugh at. There, there is strength uh, for you when you do not hang out with the perpetual sarcastic mocking of the pursuit of God. People will always be uh, mocking. And so uh, one of the things I encourage you to do is to make sure that you choose friends wisely. All right? You want to have two kinds of friends. The kind of friend that is helping you grow in God and the kind of friend that you're trying to take to Jesus. The kinds of friends you don't want to have are friends that are going nowhere and just living in a perpetual, mundane scoffing and mocking. Does that make sense? Because you'll start to become like who you hang out with. All right, so you want to hang out a lot with Jesus, and you want to hang out a lot with people that are going hard after God. And then it's right to have friends that aren't following Jesus, but you are trying to influence them, not let them influence you. Okay, so verse 2, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord? Or you could say the word of God. All right, so here when David is writing this, he's talking mostly about the Mosaic law. He's talking about what we call today the Pentateuch. He's talking about spending time reading the law, meditating on what he had available. Today, we have 66 books available, all right? And so this idea for us would be meditating on the word of God. You don't have to wonder what God might be saying when you're reading the scripture because he is saying everything in here. A lot of times I hear people say, teenagers say, David, I can't hear God. And I ask them, are you meditating on his word day and night? Are you meditating? Not literally 24-7, but that, that, that metaphor would mean a lot. And they say, no, I don't really like the Bible. I don't really spend time in the Bible. And I say, well, you don't want to hear God then. Because if you're not studying the word of God, then you don't have a hunger for hearing, the word of, hearing God because he's spoken a lot. We want to hear his prophetic voice But his word has already been written and established. So you want to get this in your heart. And if you'll get this deep in your heart, you'll watch the way that the Lord will speak to you is out of the language of what's already here. So most of the time when I sense like the Holy Spirit is speaking something to me, rarely is it some kind of contemporary version. Rarely do I hear the Lord say YOLO to me. (laughs) All right. Or, you know, because but what I do hear the Lord speak to me is out of the scriptures. You know, is speaking something that I've already prayed or I've already memorized, I already know. And I'll know God's highlighting that. And because he's already put in his word, he's highlighting it and it's causing me to to remember it. All right, so. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and here it is, and who meditates on his law day and night. Or we could say all the time. Last verse. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. And whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. So whoever meditates on the law of the Lord, it's like they've got a root system that goes deep. And they're close to the streams of water. All right? So they're pulling out 
the water out of the ground. That's the idea. And they're growing deep. And they're growing tall. And no matter what circumstance comes, they don't change because they have a root system that's deep. And they're drawing life from the right well. Does that make sense? Our temptation, your temptation, is to draw strength from the wrong things. To draw strength from fame, popularity, from maybe selfish ambition or future ambition. To draw strength from uh, what people think of you. And the way that you will grow in God long term is if you draw strength from Him. And that takes time meditating on His Word day and night. Getting to know God. In Mark one thirty five. It talks about how Jesus would get up early. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. If we want to know how to pray, we can study how Jesus prayed and learn a lot. And one of the things when you read right through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is we find Jesus often withdrawing to lonely places or solitary places to spend time alone with his father. All right? Let me say that again since you guys laughed. All right? All right, pay attention. So we find Jesus, if you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we find Jesus getting up uh, and going off to be alone with his father. We find him sometimes praying in the middle of the night. We're all familiar with that. When he said to Peter, why can't you just pray with me for one hour? And so Jesus sets an example of getting alone to be with his father. I had one guy push back on me and say, How do, where, where do we even find a God time in the Bible? I can't even find it. And I looked at him and I said, look at the example of Jesus. He's perpetually spending time alone with his father. And if Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, wants to find strength from his father, how much more do we need God every day? So this morning, my goal is not to inspire you to a God time. I try to do that quite often on Wednesday nights. I want to just have an extended period of time where all of us spend time with God this morning. All right? So I love to spend time with God in coffee shops. That's where I believe that the Shekinah exists. All right? I don't even have to sing, Shekinah glory, come down. I just walk into Starbucks and there she is. You know, it's just awesome. So what I want us to do is just picture like this. It's just one huge coffee shop. I've got my coffee right here, thanks to Candace. All right, and so uh, get out. And so, so, so just pretend this is one big coffee shop and you are spending time alone with God. Does that make sense? If you've got your pen, say, I do. I do. If you've got a journal, say, I do. I do. If you've got this notebook, say, yes. yes. All right, good. It's not a notebook, this piece of paper. Yes. All right, so here's how we're going to do this. Uh, for me in my journey, this is how I spend time with God, and, um, and I'm going to teach you a way. Not the way, but a way. All right? So the first thing that I like to do, you can throw this up here on the PowerPoint, is I, I like to start off, and I'll just start off my, my time writing to God who he is in worship. All right? Now, most of the time, as the community of faith, when we gather together, what's the first thing that we do? We worship. When we, community of faith, that means church. All right. When we come together, most of the time we start off singing songs, right, and worship. And the goal of that is not just to have smoke machines and the guys with the coolest new, you know, nose rings and tattoos come and lead you in worship, right? Although they're uber cool, they got girl jeans and they're all the popular ones. We get that. 
All right? And that's fine, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but the goal is not to just have a time uh, uh, where we're singing songs. The goal is to exalt God, all right? To worship God, to declare to Him who He is. So what I like to do is I like to start off, and I want you to write this down because I want to encourage you to, like I'm talking really, we're going to write here in a minute. So you need to have your hands ready, be prepared to start writing and praying. We're going to write down our prayers to God this morning. And that's the way that I like to do it. Uh, A lot of times when we do, um, when we think, I'm going to spend time with God and we think I'm going to pray silently. There's two ways that I would encourage you when you spend time with God. One, to actually audibly pray your prayers, or two, to write it down. Many times when you think, okay, I'm going to just kind of pray silently in my mind, your mind daydreams, you think about your Algebra 2 test that's coming up, um, you fall asleep, um, and you think I'm spending time with God, but actually your brain's just wandering. You're not even connecting in dialogue with God. So a practical thing that you can do is either talk out loud to God or write it down because I like, you know, to be in public places. I like to write it down so people don't think I'm schizophrenic and talking to myself. All right. (laughs) And so I like to write, I like to just write things down. All right. So I'll start off writing down worship. All right. And that would mean worship is declaring to God who he is. All right. Worship is responding, responding to what we value most. Let me say that again. Worship is responding to what we value most. So we are responding to God. So in a sense, you're coming before God and you're picturing him. And I like to even try to get mental pictures in my head. All right. So you can find some of those in Revelation 4 and 5 where it talks about his throne room. You can picture Jesus, what as he was on the earth, what he was like, what it was like when he had compassion for the hurting or the poor, or what it was like when he with authority spoke on the Sermon on the Mount, or what it was like when he miraculously um, healed people or raised people from the dead, or what it was like when he was crucified on the cross, and there, the ultimate state of compassion for people, or maybe what it was like when he rose from the dead or when he ascended into heaven. But you can picture a lot. If you want to, uh, sometimes it's hard to imagine what God's like in heaven. And, I, and so I have people that kind of get confused on that. They're like, I can't picture what God is like. All right, but you do have a lot of what Jesus was like. And Jesus, God as a person, you can look at how he responded to people, what he was like, and you can know exactly what God's like by looking at the face of Jesus. All right, so you start to think and picture what Jesus is like and to declare to him who he is. So you come in. You're tired if it's in the morning, it's in the afternoon, night, no matter what, being weary and tired is always one of the biggest excuses of lethargic, apathetic Christians. It's always going to exist. You don't turn 40 and suddenly not be tired. You're more tired, right? Your body's fatter, right? You're, you got more kids. You're, you're just, you're more weary. You're, when you're 60, it's going to be harder than it was at 40. It never changes, All right, so you don't think one day it's going to get easier. No, being tired will always be an excuse. So you don't want to make that excuse. You come before God and you go, okay, God, set aside these things. I look to you and you start to declare to him who he is in worship. Now, there's different ways to do that. Sometimes I like to just write out the names of God. You are almighty. You are king. You are the faithful one. You are, sometimes I'll just like to write out, um, 
attributes of God, like you are good, you are, you are um, true, you are filled with mercy, you see me in the midst of my difficulty, you do not change even though everything in my surroundings change. Even though my friends change and even though my um, church may change and my government may change and all these other things may change, you don't change. But what starts to happen then, here's what happens when you start off in worship. We by nature are selfish people, meaning we think about ourselves, we talk about ourselves, we like ourselves, our problems are a big deal. Today, you're not thinking about my problems, you're thinking about yours. You're not thinking about other, you're thinking about what you have to do today, which girl you've got a crush on, um, it, it, you're hoping that lunch is good, you're thinking about that you're tired, you're wishing you hadn't lost you know, your iPhone or whatever, all right? And so you're thinking about your things and some, what's, what it's easy to do is for those menial things to be the big deal of your life. Holy crud, I got a test today. That girl's gonna dump me today for sure. And all those feelings to feel like a really big deal and Jesus being holy and Jesus being faithful and Jesus never changing and Jesus ruling the world. It's tempting for that to feel like small. Like, oh yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, we sing those songs. I could sing of your love forever. Yeah, I know that, all right? Okay, but here's what happens. When you worship, you get everything put into right perspective. So when you worship and you start off, then the girl that's going to dump me, my Algebra 2 test, you start to see those things as what they really are. Smaller and the God of the ages for who he is. I could sing of your love forever because bigger than the Algebra 2 story is the fact of a God who delights in me forever and ever. And so what happens is when you worship, it, it, it readjusts, it puts everything in right priority. All right. And so you start to see your day differently because you start to see God correctly. Does that make sense? And so you want to start off your time alone with God, just declaring to him who he is, declaring to him. I love you, God, you are faithful. You are good. And here's the deal. No matter how much you write, you can never exaggerate too much the greatness of God. So if you don't know what to write, just put adjectives in there. You are very, 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 very awesome. You are so, 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 so cool. I mean, you can't exaggerate it. So because no matter, I mean, in eternity, we're going to see people forever are going to cry. You are infinitely unique. There is no exaggeration of the excellencies of God. So you might as well just start off declaring, God, you are great. You are big. What happens then is you start to see him as big and you as small. And that is actually a lordship thing because then everything falls in order. You go, actually, God, billions of people on the planet, you rule and reign. You've got a plan for what you want to do in eternity. And even though you love and care for my small world, you really do see it as small because you really start to care more about who God is. Does that make sense? So, so you can't... You, <laughs> You cannot exaggerate how great God is, all right? And he is worthy of perpetual praise. I mean, even if all of us were to constantly just do this, it would not dent the excellency of who he is as a person. You can't overpraise, all right? So the more that you connect with his excellent worth, the more you will be able to praise. So... Over time, if you become a worshiper that spends time by yourself, 
worshiping God, alone with God, you'll watch, you'll start to care about God more. And you won't think, oh, that's just for the Jesus radicals. That's just for, you know, so-and-so. It starts to happen in you where your conversation starts to be more about God. You actually like the songs that, de- that declare who God is more than any other kinds of songs. You want to read books. You find yourself desiring to steal Pastor Brandon's books on the excellencies of God. Why? Because that captivates you more than the latest, you know, vampire Lincoln, President Lincoln vampire movie or whatever. All right? More than anything else. You're just proud of me for knowing that, aren't you? Yeah, that's good. I, just, yeah, I, saw, I saw a tweet on it. All right, so... Uh, so that's what you want to do is you, is you want to start off just, just praising God, declaring to God how great he is. All right. So we're going to take a moment and we're going to do this right now. All right. And so you could do this in your journal. I've left space for you on this document. You can do it. You can write right there, but I want you with your pen, your paper to take a moment. This is not Moose's song. This is not what I'm telling you to write. This is when you look at God, what does he look like to you? How do you see him? All right, so let's take a minute and I want you to just write worship to God. All right, ready, go. Now, when we worship, we don't worship primarily because we feel like it, we worship because He's worthy. And I want to encourage you as the weeks go on and you start to try to spend time with Jesus on a near daily basis, you're not always going to feel, oh, you are good. You are good. I mean, you're going to, it's going to be tempted. Oftentimes your heart's going to feel dry, but you don't worship based upon your emotion. You, You worship based upon who he is. And what happens is as you do that over time, your emotions do catch up to your convictions. And so over time, you'll start to really believe you are good. And then you'll even be able to have an emotional connection to that. People all the time will say, hey, I don't want just a, a high, an emotional high. And, you know, we can't build anything on emotion. And sometimes in doing that, what they're doing is they're trying to discard emotion. But let me tell you something. One of the greatest delights in your journey with God is actually feeling his delight over you. Feeling, let just a tangible connection with God. And so I can say that in my marriage to Renata. I can say, well, you know, we're gonna be married in good days and bad days, so it can't be based on emotion. Well, it's not based on emotion. It's based upon covenant commitment. But it sure is great when there's emotion, right? It sure is great when we're so committed to the same things that we like each other, all right? Well, it's the same way in your relationship with God. Of course, it's not built on emotion. It's built upon his commitment to you and your commitment to him. But it is a delightful river of life when there's connecting with his heart and his presence at the same time. So you don't don't forego emotion. Don't become one of those people that say, well, I don't really do the emotional. No, 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 no. You, You want that. You want to, when we sing these songs, have so been in his presence and so be about what he's doing on the planet and what he's going to do, that when we sing, in just a little while, I'm going to see you, it's not a, uh, it's a, a, yes, I've spent so many hours praying to you, God, and studying your word, that that resonates with my heart emotionally when I read it. 
or when I sing it. Second one that I like to do is I come before God and then I just, after worship, I begin to just thank him. I begin to just, so you could write thankfulness or you could write gratitude or you could write thanksgiving. But I like to just say, God, thank you. And I'll start with, God, thank you for what you're doing in my heart. And then work through anything good that I can thank God for. The temptation is to live looking mostly at what's wrong. All right? And to live mostly in the uh, asking God for things. Which is nothing wrong with that. But we want to live with gratitude. I mean, when we're, we, we want to live with a perpetual thank you, God, coming out of our hearts. So like for me, I have four little children, all right? And when my kids just ask, 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 there's a part of me that's like, can you be thankful for what you have? I mean, can you be, can you be grateful? All right, but when my kids are like, thank you, daddy, thank you, daddy, thank you for this, thank you for that. You know what that causes in the heart of a daddy? I want to give you more. And a thankful heart, if you're thankful, you'll be surprised how you have joy. It's amazing when you travel the world and you go to places where they have nothing, but they have gratitude and thus they have joy. You come to America where we have a lot, but we're taught materialism, consumerism, where that is the way that you know, the selling of goods and services, all the, the way that all of our economy works in a free market enterprise, we live in a culture that's trying to constantly say, you don't have enough, you don't have enough, you don't have enough. And so many people live in America without joy because they don't have gratitude for what God's given them. So what, we, what you want to do is come up for God, start with worship, and then just thank Him. Thank Him for what He's given you, what He's done for you. So you can thank Him for... What Jesus did on the cross, you could thank him for creation. You could thank him for your parents. You could thank him for your school. You could thank him that you're, for, your, uh, for your health. But what, what, we want to enter into his course, is what the Bible says, with thanksgiving in our hearts. All right, so let's take a moment, and I want you just to thank God. Thank him. You can write that word multiple times. But just thank God for everything you can possibly thank him for. So we've spent time writing down prayers of worship, exaltation. Then we've written down gratitude, prayers of thanksgiving. Then what I like to do is I like to write down, and I I called it prayers of identity. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, John preached last night about how the enemy is a liar and how... Like Jesus told Peter that Satan wants to sift him like wheat. He wants to crush him. He wants to destroy him. And the enemy does want to crush you. And how does he do that? He does that through lying to you. And mostly by telling you you're not good enough, um, you're wrong, you're wicked, you're and, and lying to you. In fact... 2 Corinthians 4 4 says that the God of this age comes to blind the minds. That's what he wants to do. The enemy wants to blind your mind, meaning he wants you to not be able to see who you are. He wants you to have an identity in anything but God. And our culture does that. Our culture says, oh, you're an athlete. I mean, it starts when you're in junior high and high school. 
you're an academic or you're an athlete or you're cool or you're not cool, you're socially acceptable or you're not socially acceptable, you're short, you're tall, you're to this, you're to that, and you're identified, you have this many Facebook friends or you have this few Facebook friends or pick your thing. You dress well or you don't dress well. Uh, you do well on your, uh, on your, on your test or you do poorly. You're, you're, uh, and that's really the way that people categorize. And it's easy for you to start to pull your identity from what other people say about you rather than what he says about you. And it's a never-ending fight. My temptation is to define my life based upon my social status, my position on the org chart at our church, um, how tall I am or am not, um, all the things that our culture says, what, the way you look, how much money you have, uh, what you drive, if you drive a minivan or if you drive a Toyota Sequoia, whatever it is, all right? And so it's your challenge to say, okay, God, I don't want my life to be defined by what other people say. I want it to be defined by what you say. So in these times alone with God, one of the best thing you can do is refresh me or renew me in the knowledge of God. That's the way it says in Colossians 3.10. We're renewed in the knowledge of God. So you want to renew your own heart. And what do you say about me? So like in Matthew 16, where Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist or Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. And then Jesus says, okay, but who do you say that I am? Of course, we all know Peter jumps up and he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And then what happens? Right after Peter declares to Jesus who he is, which is what we just did in worship, what does Jesus turn around and do? He turns around and goes, good job, Peter. And let me tell you who you are. You're a rock. And on this rock, I got a plan. I'm going to build a church and I'm going to use you, Petey. I'm going to use the little guy right over there to help lead a revival in Acts chapter two. So you've recognized that I'm the Christ. Now, let me tell you, Peter, who you are, because you're going to go through some dark days where you're going to be, you're going to be tempted to define your success based upon your achievements. And when you've denied me three times, you're going to need to remember what I say about you and what I think about you. So you got hard days ahead. The enemy wants to lie to you. Other people want to categorize you. And your temptation is to live the way other people think. So for me, what I have to do is I come before God and I not only read out who he is, but after I've done that, this is who you are and I'm thankful for you. Then I go, okay, God. And I write back who I am. God, I'm a son. God, I'm your friend. God, I am not what this so-and-so says about me. And be specific. Like I'll write people's actual names that are bugging me, right? It's very tempting to live irritated and bothered. We don't want to live bothered. We want to be peacemakers. And so it's, so it's very easy for you to be bugged and what so-and-so thinks about me. And not just a generality, but so I'll actually write the names of individual people. And sometimes I just put their initials and say, in case someone finds my journal and then, you know, anyway. But I'll just write out, God, I am this. I am not this. You say this about me and I'll wash myself in the knowledge of God or renew my heart in the knowledge of God. God, you call, you call me friend. You call me beloved. You, I, I, I am, a, or, and I just write it. And maybe specific to what I'm walking through. But that's one of the things that you can do. So as a young woman, you write, you see me as pure. 
You see me as beautiful. You see me as righteous because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. You see me with the very righteousness of Jesus. And though I feel like a beat up, discouraged, confused person, you see me as righteous and you're beloved. And I just wash my mind in the knowledge of that. In fact, that's one of the ways I have to say it over over again. God, you love me. And it's those same words. You delight in me. I am yours. More than anything else, I belong to you. So I want you to take a minute, and it could be adjectives like, God, you know, um, you see me as kind. Or maybe it's a face statement, you know, but you're writing back. Or it could be like a noun where you see me as a daughter, or you see me as a son, or you see me as the redeemed. But you want to take a minute and like, almost like God's writing back to you. And sometimes that's what I'll do, and we're going to do this in a minute, is I'll, if, if I sense like the Holy Spirit starting to really bring ideas and thoughts to my mind, I'll actually write a, a G standing for God, and I'll write what I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying to me. And write it as if God's saying it to me. So it's like, a, so then I write, David, you are, and just write out, you are this. You are not what they say about you, that you are this. All right, so because if you can find your identity in your father, in God, that is the greatest way to begin your journey each day. This is who I am, bedrock conviction. So I want you to take a minute and just write out, what does God say about you? You can write it in the form of your prayer to God or write what the Holy Spirit is saying over you as God's saying it to you. All right, so after identity... We move to confession. Now, in confession, what we're doing is we're looking back at the last 24 hours. Or maybe uh, if it's been a while since you've spent time with God, it's more than 24 hours. And you're looking at your life and you're going, okay, God, we're doing life together. It's like this skit last night, all right? Um, where they were, where, who was sitting on the throne? Who was sitting, who was in charge? And you're looking back and you're going, okay, where did I miss it? Where were you not in charge? Where did you not? Where did I not allow you to be Lord of my life? And you just write that out to God. You just make that confession. You go, God, the way that I spoke to so-and-so, the way that I yelled at Ben, the way that I uh, stole Brandon's book or whatever, um, that's my life. Uh, or, the, you know, what? When, look at the things that you could have, where you weren't like Jesus and you just want to get clean before God. So you come before God and you just say, okay, God, I, I confess this and I confess this. You look back very systematically at the last season, not just kind of categorize it as just like, oh, yeah, yeah, but like be specific. Okay, God, I have a problem with lying or with exaggeration or God, my greed problem led me to not be honest in this financial decision or God, I, I cheated on this test. And, and you look back, what are the real things specifically that you're living that don't look like Jesus and you confess them to God and you repent of those things because when you repent of those things, then in the future, you have actual uh, ideas and memories of what you've said to God rather than a generality. Does that make sense? So let's say that my sins from yesterday was that I uh, punched John Mack in the face, I stole Brandon Cormier's book and I lied and told someone that I was better at basketball than my brother Dan. All right? 
So I had three sins, okay? So I've got those three sins. If I just keep it as a category and come before God and just go, oh God, forgive me of my sins, forgive me of then it's, I, I, don't, I don't have uh, an ability to focus toward the future. But if I come before God and say, God, forgive me of my violence towards John for the way that I stole Brandon's books, Bible commentaries, and the way that I lied about my brother Dan. Then the next day when I'm standing there and I see Brandon's book, I have an awareness. I just repented to God for that. And I've already said, God, help me not to do that again. And I use absurd examples so that I don't, you know, I'm just trying to give you kind of the idea so that I I actually have a, a prayer history in God about that very thing. And I've got the strength to say, no, I just prayed about that this morning. I'm not going to steal another epistle of James commentary off of his bookshelf. It's just not right. Okay. So, so what you want to do is you want to confess those specific things so that you can find strength to, in the future, resist sin. Okay, so take a minute, and I just want you to confess to God. I want you to look back. Let's just take, let's just do the last 24 hours, okay? Just the last 24 hours. Where have you missed the mark? And just take those moments, just repent before God. Write them down. Okay, so in your time alone with Jesus, we start off with praise, worship. God, you are this. God, you are holy. You are faithful. You're good. You're true. All right. And in so doing, we start to see him as big. Our problems are small. Everything gets put in right perspective. All right. Then we go into Thanksgiving and gratitude. We write out, thank you, God. We thank him over and over again for the different things that he's given us. In so doing, we start to develop joy because we're living with gratitude for what God has given and who God is rather than living in sadness for what is not. All right. Then we went into identity where God speaks over us. We live in the identity of what he says over us, not over what our culture or our friends or anybody else says about us. All right. Okay. And then we went into confession. Okay. We're about to dive into the scriptures. So before we dive into the scriptures, we say, God, where am I missing it? Where do I sit in my life? And and it's kind of even what John was talking about last night. Okay, I want to be honest. Where's the open doors? I want to get filled with God. I, I don't want to tolerate sin. All right? Okay, then after we do that. So what that does is that prepares us then to kind of enter into his throne room feeling like, hey, I've, I've exalted him. I've thanked him. I know who I am. I've, conf- I've repented of my sin. And then that's when the fun really starts because that's when you start to have dialogue. All right? So this next portion is where you dive into the scripture. What we said in Psalm 1, where you meditate on the law day and night. And you, you take a scripture. And there's lots of times where we want to study scripture for information. Right? Like, I, 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 I've gone to, theology, to school to get information. There's times where you just read the Bible for information. But in your time alone with Jesus, you're not mostly reading it for information. You want to look at it through the lens of conversation. Okay? So you, you, want to, you want to not read it primarily for information in this setting. You want to try to have a bent towards conversation. And obviously in conversation, it comes out informative. But a lot of times people become bored with their Bible because it's not personal. They feel like it's just black and white words on a page. 
But when it becomes a dialogue with God, that's where there's life in it. That's where it's powerful. All right, so John 17, I I just chose a a verse this morning. And what you want to do is you want to read it and then turn it into conversation. So with God. All right, so let's just take this for a minute. And uh, obviously we won't be able to do all 26 verses, but I just want to read this and give you an example. Okay, so after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. All right, so what we know is this is Jesus' prayer to his father. Okay, and Jesus said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. So we just take verse one. So if this were me, what I would do is I would take this and I would say, Father, and I just start, stop right there and go, wow. Okay. Jesus called you father. Jesus said that we could approach you as father. And he actually, when he prayed, he called you father most of the time. And I might stop right there and just be stuck on father for a while. You are my father. Remind me that you're my father. God, thank you that you're my father. Okay, then we might move forward. The hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus, that Jesus brought you glory by dying on a cross. God, how do you want me to bring you glory? In the way that Jesus brought you glory, how how do you want me to bring you glory? So you're making it personal. You're reading the scripture and you're turning it into dialogue and you're reading the very thing uh, that, that Jesus prayed and you can turn it into your prayer and you can expand on it. Okay, God? Verse three, or verse verse two, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Father, I want to be a part of bringing in the harvest that you, those you have given to Jesus. How, how can I help bring in more people today? Or whatever. Maybe something else comes to your mind. Maybe you go, for you granted him authority over all people. Lord, help me understand the authority that Jesus really has. And you connect it to a revelation birth where it says, you know, that one day every tongue, tribe, and nation is going to declare him awesome. And you start to get lost in the authority of Jesus and God forgive me because I've only seen him as a man on a cross. I haven't seen him as the victorious Jesus who's going to return with, you know, with eyes like fire and stomp out the nations and he's got real authority and you get lost in authority, you know, and you write all about authority. Verse three, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So you could say, this is eternal life that they know, that they know you. God I want the people that you have foreordained to know you, to know you. This is what matters is that they would know God. I want that for my own life. God, help me to know you. Then you just begin a paragraph about what it means to know God. Lord, the way that I know some of my friends, my best friend, you know, Jake or whatever your friend, I want to know you in a way that even goes beyond who my best friend is. I want to know you in a very personal way. And you get lost in that kind of knowing God idea. And you turn that, what once was just a verse, you turn it into a dialogue with God. It's alive. It's, it's the word of God. And you turn it into conversation with God. And when you do that, then you're developing a history in God. And you start writing in the margins. You start saying what the Lord is saying to you. And all of a sudden, you're developing your own relationship with God. You've got the word of God that you're starting to pray. And it's starting to come alive. By the way, this is the way you start to love scripture. And you'll actually, it'll like the way that I was telling you about Candace a minute ago. It's not, this is my opinion. It's not mostly through, uh, I'm going to sit and I'm going to memorize this verse. I, listen, I've done that so many times. I grew up as a pastor's kid. Then I got my undergraduate degree in theology. Then I got my master's degree in theology. I've been in church most of my life. I've been in so many programs 
where I'm supposed to memorize scripture and I did it. Do you know how much of it I remember from that? Very little. Only the stuff from when I was a real little kid. But I've got a lot of scripture coming out of me. And you know where it comes from? Not from scripture memory, praying the scriptures. It comes from just dialoguing with God. Like I could have told you that John 17, three was that, that they might know you. Why? Because I've prayed it over and over and over again. So when you pray it, you'll be surprised. Not only do you get the dialogue, but you get the information to boot. God begins to then give you fresh life in addition to just information. You want, you want dialogue. You want to hear God. You don't want just a monologue when you pray. God, da-da-da, 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 da da You want dialogue. God, da-da-da. And he goes, da-da-da-da-da. And you go, duh. And he goes, oh, dig it, dig it, dig it, Right? That's why any conversation, when you're in a conversation with someone and they're talking your ear off, you hate it. You're like, shut up. Right? Someone who just talks and talks and talks and talks. Why? Because we don't, monologue isn't a bad thing, but we like dialogue better. That's the way we're created for relationship. In general, relationship in dialogue is far more enjoyable than monologue. All right? So when you pray, you want to then wait on God. Okay, God, what are you saying to me in this text? So you don't want it to be monologue either way. You don't want it to be, I read for information. John 17, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you got him with who you Now this is eternal life that they may know you, Lord, you got Okay, I did my deed. I read three verses today. What's next? Check the box. Homework approach to spending time with God. I did it. I get the grade. Did I pass? That's puke. I hate that. Okay, in the same way, if you just don't, if you just take, if you just, you just talk to God and you never let him break in. God, thank you for my mom. God, thank you for this. God, help me do this. God, help me not to do that. God, da, 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 da. Amen. It's not dialogue. It's monologue. You too, God. Both are better than nothing, but you want dialogue more than anything. So what you want is you read what he says to you, and then you pray back to him. Then you, then you, then you pray, okay, God, I think you're saying this to me. So I pray it back to God. All right, so you want to turn the scriptures into dialogue. Everybody got it? Does that make sense? Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some verses out of John 17. And I want you to have dialogue with God through the scriptures. You don't have to do those first three verses. But I want you to stay in John 17. You can go towards the end, middle, beginning. But just pick two or three verses read it, pray it, let God speak to you through it. And then you speak back to God about it. Okay. Then you take that dialogue and you look at the next 24 hours. You go, God, how can I apply this in my life? All right. How can I apply practically in the next 24 hours this thing that you're speaking to me right now through the, ta- through the scripture, and this dialogue that we're having, I want a practical way, Lord God, where I can live this out. So you want to take it and apply it. Like if you took, I loved, I was just reading after we uh, read verse three, verse four, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So Jesus comes to the end. He's about to embrace the cross. And he looks at his father and goes, I finished the work you've called me to do. I brought you glory 
by doing what you want me to do. We can take that, we can make that our prayer. God, at the end of my life, I want to stand before you and bring glory to God because I finished the assignment, the work, the calling that you had on my life. Okay, and that ushers us right into what we talked about last Wednesday night. As we, uh, in high school, we, we, we finished up talking about calling. Junior high, I want you to jump in with me on this. We talked a little bit about that every single one of us have a calling, all right? And I want us to take um, a minute here. And with the time that we have left, uh, I want us to work on our life mission statement, all right? So what I would do when coming to the end is then I would look at the next 24 hours and say, okay, God, how can I live this? What do I have in front of me? Okay, like, like if I were to go through my day. Okay, God, I got a meeting with Pastor Brady and Pastor Brandon and Pastor Joe Kirkendall at 8.30. Lord, can I, how can I apply this in that meeting? How can I be like you in that meeting? Okay, then my next meeting, 10 o'clock. I got four guys in that meeting. We're gonna make a lot of decisions. Okay, then we got a prayer meeting at noon. God, how can I apply it then? Okay, then I meet with Dan at one about DLA. How can, most of the time, how can I, how can I apply that? You know, God, how can you, okay. All right, then two o'clock, I got another meeting. How can I be, okay, so go through your actual day. Go through your hours, your classes, biology, PE, conversations, relationships. You wanna try to make it, real, make it stick. The thing that God's doing, you want to try to just say, okay, God, I want to apply this today so that then the next day you come back and you say, how do we do? Right? Just like anything in real life, anything in real life, you're trying to get better at something, right? Well, if the one thing that we've said we want to do with our lives is to know God, let's have a practical way where we actually get better at it. Where we actually say, okay, God, where did I miss the mark? How did I do yesterday? And you're, okay, and we're slowly over time knowing God more, developing a better prayer life, becoming more holy, better with people, loving others more than ourselves. All right, so it's a tangible way where you connect with God and you over time get to walk in more unity with Him and union with Him and communion with Him, as well as fulfilling His calling or His mandate or His assignment on your life. Okay, so let's move forward into assignment. I want you to take a minute and we're going to walk out of here with every single one of you are going to walk out of here today with a life mission statement. It might change a hundred times. It might change before the end of the day. But I want you to have just something that we walk out of this session saying, I think this is the direction. Some of you may might have like narrow, you know, I got it laser sharp. This is what I'm doing with my life. You know, the Shekinah glory came down and you got it. Some of you, it's going to be kind of broad. Like my life mission statement right now is just love God and don't sin. You know, great. That's fine. That's, that's actually a really good one. You know, if you can do that, awesome. Um, but we're going to take a minute and I, we're going to work on a life mission statement. So I told you guys, I was a t- when I was a teenager, I wrote this, to behold and preach the beauty of the Lord and disciple a generation of burning hearts. All right, I wrote that when I was a teenager. Today, like I told you on Wednesday night, that's still primarily what I'm doing. All right, a couple times I've thought about tweaking it and I go, ah, that's actually still the things that are alive in my heart. Okay, so what I, the way that I want you to do this is you start off by just writing down some scriptures that are alive in your heart, that are just, they're just there. Like when I wrote that one, Psalm 27, four and Luke 24, we're not our hearts burning within us. Psalm 27, four, this one thing I ask 
that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Those were kind of the verses that were burning in my heart. Maybe because the only ones I knew as a teenager. I don't know. You know, like they were just the ones that were hot to me right then. That's what I knew. All right. I want you to take a minute and write down whatever verses when you go, man, I love this verse. And even if it's, David, the only verse I know is John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. My life calling today is going to come out. I'm going to weep for the glory of God. Awesome. All right. You're going to have something though. All right. But I want you to write down some verses. All right. Write down some, some verses. Maybe it's what uh, moms and dads have prophesied over you. Maybe you go, well, my name is Joshua. So my parents always give me that whole be strong and courageous thing. And so you just write down Joshua 1, 8 and you just, maybe that's the verse or, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe, um, maybe when you got baptized, there was a verse on the T uh, on the t-shirt and you've prayed it and you like it. And, but write down any verses that just are sticky inside of your heart, write them down. Just, just write those down. So this can be experiences. This can be prophetic words over your life. This can be, um, you know, maybe when we've prayed together something that some a friend said or a pastor said or a parent said you sensed like the lord was saying yeah, that is what i'm calling you to just it's very personal though experiences prophetic words just try to remember what are those things that have crafted you You're like david i've only been alive for 14 years and i only remember 11 of them all right in those years you've got what do you remember what are the things that have formed you? Okay, now these scriptures and these experiences are just to help you. Really, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit, all right? We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to give you ideas, to speak to you. Now, hear, hear me when I say this. This mission statement is not written in cement, okay? This is fluid. This could change tomorrow. Here's what, I, here's what I'm wanting. I'm wanting you to start thinking about what's God's calling on my life. What, what's the, what is the assignment that he has for me? Just like I just read in John 17, when you stand before God, if you could say, even like Jesus came to the end of his life and he said, I have finished the work that you called me to do. Or what Paul says when he says, I have finished the race. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I've done the thing that you wanted me to do. I have started churches among the Gentiles. I have spread the gospel. I've done it. Okay, what's the it? What's the assignment? What's the thing? What's the direction that God has for you? Because when you get that, oh man, when you know this is what this is who I, this is what God's called me to do. When you get not only who am I, but what am I supposed to do? Man, those two things together make a powerful person. Why? Because they can say no to so many things, and they're able to be focused, and their life becomes far more fruitful. All right, so I'm going to pray for you. All right, tell you what. Before we do that, Stephen, come on me up here. And uh, I want you just to share. Stefan was in DLA in 2004. We did this together and he wrote his. And uh, I just want you to hear Stefan because Stefan did this as a teenager. And uh, I think it's a powerful one. So just read, yeah. To be a steadfast, to be steadfast in my pursuit of God and be a holy recruiter of leaders in my generation. Okay, a holy recruiter. What do you do for a living? Holy recruit. Pastor, lead. That's what he does. Pastors, teaches in DLA, recruits for DLA, helps us recruit youth pastors all across the country for our prayer summit, desperation conference. It's all, but, so his job description may change, but that's what's in his heart. Does that make sense? 
So even when opportunities come, Stefan's got a lens. It's like, will this help me accomplish the mission that Jesus has given me? You see what I'm saying? So it helps you kind of have an anchor. All right? Uh, let's give Stefan a big hand. There it is. Stefan the man. All right. Candace, you got one? Who, Amy, who, who had one? Someone, one other person did. Amy's got one? Wow. Uh, to be a prophetic voice and to know him and make him known. I love it. To be a prophetic voice, which that means prophetic, that just means hearing God and saying what God's saying and to make him known, know him and make him known, know God, John 17, three, make him known, John 17, four. Good. So when you write these, the idea is like, for me, I would want to write like mine would be, you know, when I put to behold and preach the beauty of the Lord and disciple a generation of burning hearts, that's kind of a general statement. It's not saying. I'm going to move to Colorado and, you know, work with DSM, right? Because you don't know exactly where your future is going. You want to do kind of like a statement about in your whole life what it looks like. So it, we, we're not looking for like my life mission is to be a rich doctor in New York City. All right. You would want to do something more along the lines of um, to, to help the hurting and deliver people, something like that. Does that make sense? Because you don't know exactly how your life's going to play out in terms of the specifics. So you want to try to make it a spiritual, strong statement more than like a specific, this is what I hope to do with my life. I want to work at Disneyland. You know, like, does that make sense? Okay. Father, in Jesus' name, we desire to know you, God. We want to spend time with you every day. God, we don't want it to be merely inspirational and theoretical. We want to actually do it. So we pray that you would give us strength in the secret place. We pray that we would know God and that we would fulfill the purpose you have on our lives, God. That we would know you and know the purposes you have for us. We love you, love you, love you, God. Amen. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did. Because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.